Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 42 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Spend your days in constant excruciating pain, or be allowed to peacefully end your life on your own terms. A deliberate act of murder or violent assault. Personal opinions are divided concerning the death of Mark Van Dongen. A very unusual set of circumstances is not often that you can get evidence from the victim of a murder investigation actually talking about the offence. Why didn't you call the ambulance? You know, I was just like um, confused and about loads of, loads of things. She's a danger to society. She's just crazy. She was part of our family. She was treated as my own daughter. Thomas Sweet was smoking a cigarette in his garden when he heard piercing screams coming from the street where he lived in Westbury Park, Bristol. It was just before 3am on September 23rd, 2015. A tall white man dressed in just a pair of boxer shorts was running blindly down the road, shouting something about acid. At first Thomas thought the man had taken drugs and was just having a bad trip. 
As Thomas approached the individual, he noticed what looked like grey paint on the man's body and face. But soon Thomas realised that what he was looking at was not paint. It was the man's skin. Thomas Sweet called 999. The operator asked the caller if they needed the police. The injured man had shouted yes because, quote, she needs to pay. Ambulance service for the address of the emergency. Hi, um, I'm not sure. I've just met a man who... What's the address, my please? I am um, on Barclay Road in Westbury Park. Barclay Road in Westbury Park. Basically, I heard a shouting in my garden. I came out and there's a gentleman shouting for help. Mate, it's okay. Okay, well, tell me exactly what's happened. I'm not sure what's happened. Excuse me, mate. Excuse me. Hello? Yeah. What's, what's happened, please? Somebody threw acid over his face, apparently. He said acid thrown over his face. Yeah. Okay, let me Upon hearing the noise in the early hours of the morning, other neighbours began to come outside to see what was going on. Dominic Wooding heard the man say his former partner was responsible. Eleanor Elcox was also awoken by a man screaming that he was going to die. When she went out to help, such was the condition of the man's face. Eleanor thought he was covered in clay. Nicola White, who lived on Ladysmith Road a few streets away from Barclay Road, had heard her doorbell ringing. She later said, I looked out of the window and there was a guy standing there in his boxer shorts, and he looked a really odd colour from his head down to his shoulders. He looked like he was covered in a clay, sort of mud, which I later realised was his skin melting. The following morning, Nicola White's doorbell had corroded due to the residue from the corrosive substance dissolving the man's skin. The emergency call handler had advised Thomas Sweet to immediately get the victim to a shower. On the journey, the man became distraught, fearing that he would be brought back to the place he had just fled from. He pointed to the flat and said, She did it to me there. When Nicola White looked towards the flat, she saw a woman sitting on the couch speaking to someone on the phone. The man said he had told his girlfriend he was leaving, and she, quote, did this to me. Paramedics soon arrived at the scene and found that the victim had severe burns to his face, chest, abdomen and thighs. Froth gathered at the corners of the man's mouth as he cried out that he could not see. He asked the paramedics if he still had eyelids. An officer at the scene, PC Thomas Green, could see the victim's eyes had turned grey. His irises had essentially dissolved. Eventually, the man would be identified as Mark van Dongen, a 27-year-old Dutch native. In the ambulance, Mark was crying out in pain and was given gas and air to try and calm him down. An officer travelled with him to the hospital, 
and when Mark was asked who had thrown the acid over him, he gestured to a tattoo on his stomach and said, she needs to go to prison for this. The tattoo bore the name Berlin. Mark also asked the police to make sure his girlfriend Violet was okay, as he feared that she was in danger too. Police officers were told where to find the woman accused of the attack. E.C. Matthew Griffin entered the flat in Westbury Park. Belinda Wallace was still inside. She was in the living room sitting on the sofa. It was imperative to know what substance had been thrown in order to get Mark Van Dongen the appropriate treatment and fast. When officers asked Wallace, she said that it was acid and pointed to a glass lying on the floor. She told them she had been distressing some fabric as she was a fashion student. However, that did not explain why her ex-boyfriend was covered in the substance. Wallace brought the officers to the kitchen and showed them an unlabeled bottle of sulfuric acid in a cupboard. Melina Wallace was arrested on suspicion of causing grievous bodily harm. She was brought to Patchway Police Station and interviewed over the course of the next 24 hours. Detective Constable Patrick Prescott was present at the interview. Wallace told the detective that she did not know that acid was in the glass. She assumed Mark had filled it with water. When he said, when he told you it was acid, what else did he say, if anything? Did he, you know, it, obviously I wasn't there, but I can imagine his reaction would have been somewhat alarming, perhaps. Yeah, he said, you threw acid at me. Yeah. You know, like, you know, that's when, you know, and then... Um, you know, I just, you know, I just realized it was, you okay. know, like, and like a smelly and, you know, like in a house and then and they were saying, oh, it has, it has, you know, and then, you know, like that's when I wanted to help him. Lena Wallace claimed that Mark had tried to get her to drink the contents of the glass and when an argument broke out, she had thrown the liquid into his face. And Mark would have been the only person that would have that could have put the acid in that glass. Yeah, he did. You know, because he said to me it was water. I've got water for you. Right. You know, like you come and take your medication and go to bed. He wanted to me to to burn my insides. Mm. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, yeah, it would have been awful, yeah, awful. Yeah. No, it's not. You know, it's just like this man betrayed me. When asked why she did not call an ambulance. Wallace replied that she was confused. The 46-year-old was then charged with throwing a corrosive substance with intent to cause harm and remanded into custody. Mark van Dongen was born in the Netherlands in June 1987. His parents separated in 2000, and during his early teens he remained living with his mother before moving in with his father Case. During a relationship in the 2000s, 
Mark contracted HIV from a girlfriend. He later fell in love with a man. They got engaged and lived together in the Netherlands until the relationship broke down. In 2011, Mark moved to the UK to study at the University of Bristol. He had met South African Belinda Wallace on a dating site for people living with HIV. She was 18 years older than him, but their relationship seemed healthy and stable. Wallace was a part-time fashion student, but the college would later report that she rarely attended classes. After a few years, Wallace became abusive. She had thrown boiling water over Mark's arm and shoulder during an argument. He had to go to the hospital for treatment and told the doctor that he had accidentally spilt tea over himself. He was too scared to report what had happened. Wallace would also hit herself and threaten Mark that if he ever left her, she would tell the police that he had been the one to inflict the injuries. In 2015, Mark bravely revealed what was happening, showing his colleagues the wounds that Wallace had caused. The construction engineer told a co-worker that Belinda Wallace had scratched him all over his back and she had threatened to kill him if he decided to leave. But despite her threats the relationship did finally come to an end. That same year, Mark met someone online, a woman named Violet, and they began seeing one another. Berliner Wallace was furious and would attack Mark, harassing him and threatening to kill herself. At this point, Mark was living in a hotel, allowing Wallace to live in a flat that he paid for. By early September, she began calling Mark's new partner, saying nothing on the 14 calls she made, but the message was clear. They were silent threats. In a 999 call made on September 2nd, Mark told the operator that he had split up with his partner. She was continuously contacting him and threatening to blackmail him. Mark said on the call. She kept on calling and crying and like hyperventilating and everything. When I left her to start off with, she tried to kill herself. She took a handful of pills and she said she would stab herself if I was going to leave her. Now she constantly keeps calling me. And now she just called me and said, I'm going to call the police, say that you downloaded child porn. She keeps screaming. Mark Van Dongen was told to go to the local police station to make an official report, which he did the following day. He spoke with PC Katie Bettel and explained that he and his new girlfriend Violet had been receiving phone calls and messages from his ex-partner, Belinda Wallace. PC Bettel would take action in relation to the accusation. The officer said it would be made clear to Wallace that if she continued to make contact, it would legally be considered harassment. The day after Mark went to the police station, Wallace was informed of his report and took an overdose. 
she was rushed to the hospital and discharged the following day. Belinda Wallace's unpredictable behaviour put a strain on Mark's new relationship. He felt a sense of responsibility to his former partner after being together for so long. Mark continued to pay Wallace's rent and supplement her education, promising to transfer money every week. Wallace told Mark that she wanted to return to South Africa, and he went back to the flat they had shared to help her. He arrived at around 10pm on September 22, 2015. The pair argued, and Wallace left, saying that she was going to stay in a hotel. Mark went to bed dressed only in his boxer shorts. Little did Mark know that later that night, Wallace would return in the early hours of the morning and throw a substance in his face while he was asleep that was 98% sulfuric acid. When Mark felt the pain, he sat up, which caused the acid to fall onto his bare chest and legs. Mark Van Dongen was rushed to South Mead Hospital. As he was brought through a decontamination room, Mark caught a glimpse of his own reflection and recoiled in horror, screaming, Kill me now. If my face is going to be left looking like this, I don't want to live. Mark suffered severe injuries and extensive trauma. He had full thickness burns to 25% of his body. Because of the extent of the damage, the police tried to track down his family in Belgium, which frustratingly took over a week. That whole time Mark was alone in intensive care. His brother Bart did not recognise him when arriving at the hospital. Skin grafts meant that 40% of Mark's body was affected by the acid attack and he was severely disfigured. The acid burned through everything it came into contact with, as was proven by the transference to a damaged doorbell Mark had used when he tried to get help. For months after the attack, Mark was in a coma, requiring dozens of specialists providing round-the-clock care in an isolated ward of Southmead Hospital's ICU. Doctors had to amputate Mark's lower left leg. He lost his left eye and most of the sight in his right. When he finally regained consciousness, Mark faced great difficulty communicating. Case Van Dongen would drive from Belgium to Bristol every weekend to be by his son's bedside. He would have to catch the briefest moments of sleep in his van after spending around 23 hours a day helping care for Mark. The pain was relentless, and the itching of his countless scars would make it beyond unbearable. Mark's situation was horrific, and with the extent of his injuries it would be hard to see any light at the end of the tunnel. Before the attack, 
Mark was a young, handsome man in his late twenties. Afterwards, he was unrecognisable. He had lost an eye, nose, ear, and he looked nothing like the happy, smiling person his family knew. Mark was confined to a hospital bed. He suffered from many complications like chronic urinary tract infections, chest infections, increased blood pressure, septicemia and critical illness neuropathy, which left him paralysed from the neck down. The acid had destroyed his muscles, burning down to the bone. He lost all of his independence and became severely depressed. It took eight months for Mark to recover enough to be questioned by the police in Southmead Hospital during July 2016. The interviews were recorded. Mark spoke about how he and Belinda Wallace argued when he said he did not want to move back in with her. Mark also described the previous attacks his former partner had carried out including the instance where she had thrown boiling water over his arm and shoulder. He said that Wallace had blackmailed him by hitting herself in the face and threatening to tell the police he did it. She also hid his passport to stop him from leaving. Mark said that he only went back to the flat they had shared because he felt sorry for her. Over a year after the incident, Mark Van Dongen was looking forward to one-on-one care outside the hospital ward, somewhere he could receive physiotherapy, somewhere he could regain his independence. Speaking about his son, his father Case would address a courtroom and say, he wanted to stay in England. He was always happy in England and met a girlfriend here. He wanted to return to a normal life. That is what he wanted. He wanted me to return to work. Mark was told he could be transferred from Southmead Hospital to a care home in Gloucester. However, on the day he arrived, Mark was distraught at the realisation that his quality of life would not improve and called his father in tears pleading with him to come and help. Case later said, He called me, and he was very distressed, so I got in my car and drove straight to Bristol. When Case arrived at the care home, he could hear his son's cries from the car park. He went into Mark's room and found his son screaming in pain and lying in his own excrement. Case remarked, No one wanted to help him. I got towels from my car and washed him. That same day, Mark's father organised a special ambulance to transport them both back to North Limburg's Marina Hospital in Belgium. Mark had wanted to stay in the UK because of Violet, and he had been promised one-to-one care, but it was clear the care home was not equipped to handle Mark's complex care needs. In the hospital in Belgium, Mark was placed in the palliative care unit. He had suffered immeasurably, and he was tired of the life he was living. 
Mark asked his father to help him with a heart-wrenching task. To fill out a form to apply for voluntary euthanasia. Assisted suicide is legal in Belgium under the 2002 Belgian Act on Euthanasia. In the Act, euthanasia is defined as the intentional termination of life by a person other than the person concerned at the latter's request. A physician who performs euthanasia commits no criminal offence when they ensure that, quote, there is a 30-day gap between the request and the act of euthanasia if the physician believes that the applicant is clearly not expected to die in the near future. The patient is legally competent, conscious and of the age of maturity when making the request. That the request is completely voluntary, well considered and repeated, and that the patient is in a medically futile condition of constant and unbearable physical or mental suffering that cannot be alleviated. This must be confirmed by two physicians. Mark's father was heartbroken at his son's request, offering him an alternative. Case asked Mark to come and live with him, but Mark said it would just be another ceiling to look at. Case and Mark saw over half a dozen doctors and neurologists. They all agreed that the patient's condition was permanent and there would be no progress. Mark van Dongen applied for euthanasia on December 1st, 2016. Mark was in constant pain and discomfort. Not only had his body been destroyed by the acid attack, but his organs had been damaged too. Septicemia weakened his kidneys and caused digestive problems. A high level of opiates he was prescribed to try and manage his intolerable pain had side effects that caused him further complications. Mark developed a lung infection after his arrival, and the doctors advised intubation. The procedure carried a 99% risk that he would lose his voice. It had taken him so long to regain the ability to speak, and Mark did not want to lose that too. He wanted to be able to communicate with his father until he took his final breath. On January 2nd, 2017, a catheter was inserted into Mark Van Dongen's heart. He was administered a lethal dose of medication, ending the unbearable physical and psychological suffering he was forced to endure. Mark was cremated on January 5th, 2017. Meanwhile, a solid case was being built against Berlin Wallace. Mark van Dongen would not live long enough to see what would become of his attacker. In January, Wallace had been due to stand trial for throwing a corrosive substance with intent, but when the Crown Prosecution Service was informed that Mark had died, proceedings were postponed. Prosecutor Rachel Drake spoke about the investigation. 
Her comments were published in the Sun newspaper. Drake said, Police are travelling to Belgium to obtain the breadth of information that is needed for the Crown to make a decision on what they want to do next. On February 3rd, 2017, Belinda Wallace was brought to Bristol Crown Court and charged with the murder of Mark Van Dongen. This was the first fatal acid attack in the UK. Wallace had denied throwing the sulfuric acid with the intent to burn, maim, disable, disfigure and cause grievous bodily harm. The court case was scheduled to begin later that spring, and although the defence filed an application to dismiss the murder charge, High Court Judge Mr Justice Royce dismissed the submission. The judge said that he believed that a jury would conclude that Belinda Wallace deliberately and unlawfully threw sulfuric acid over Mark Van Dongen, intending to at least cause him grievous bodily harm. Mr Justice Royce believed that on the whole the authorities had been broadly consistent in their arguments, although it would be up to jurors who would decide if Belinda Wallace's act of throwing the acid was the cause of death. Mr Justice Royce believed that it did not have to be the sole cause, as long as it was a substantial cause. The defence, however, submitted that Mark Van Dongen's euthanasia was a free, deliberate and informed decision, breaking the chain of causation in circumstances where he likely would have otherwise survived. Mr Justice Royce compared the situation to a victim being taken to a clifftop and set on fire. If that victim then threw themselves off the cliff and died from the fall, the act of setting them alight would have been at least a substantial cause of the victim's death. The High Court judge remarked that Mark Van Dongen's decision to choose euthanasia was taken because of his disturbing injuries, blindness, disfigurement, paralysis, loss of a limb and life of pain, frustration, disability and suffering. The trial began in November 2017. The prosecution argued that Belinda Wallace intended to cause Mark Van Dongen serious harm. Jurors were shown a video Mark had made in the hospital. He detailed the attack and identified the person responsible as his ex-girlfriend, Belinda Wallace. In the recording, Mark is lying in a hospital bed. You recalled waking up in the early morning of September 23, 2015, as Wallace stood over him. Almost as if he was addressing Wallace directly, Mark said, I hope you can see the way I look now. This is because of you. I will be a thing upon your conscience for now and forever. You stood at the end of my bed and you said... If I can't have you, no one can. And then you laughed. You evil woman, you laughed. And then you threw sulfuric acid over me. Prosecutor Adam Vaterlingham QC addressed the jury 
speaking of how Berliner Wallace had been abusive, how Mark Van Dongen was living in a hotel, and how Mark was seeing someone else. The prosecutor told the court that Wallace had been researching acid attacks prior to carrying out her assault on Mark. She had been searching the internet for answers to questions like, Can I die from drinking sulfuric acid? After researching the effects, she followed through with her plan, purchasing the liquid from Amazon on September 2nd. This was the same day that Mark Van Dongen reported Wallace for the persistent phone calls and threats of blackmail. Mark went to visit Wallace later that month, concerned for her mental health, but she left the property that night, returning when Mark was asleep. Following the attack, Wallace took her position on the couch until the police arrived ignoring Mark's cries for help as he ran out onto the street. Witnesses who aided Mark in those early morning hours described thinking that he had grey-coloured paint or some sort of clay or wax smeared on his face and body. PC Thomas Green recounted how, when he arrived at the flat, he could smell potent chemicals. Mark's father Case told the court that it took his son four months to be able to communicate with him. Case had a sheet of paper with the alphabet on it, and Mark would indicate the letter he wanted to use by sticking his tongue out. After months of prolonged physical pain and anguish, Mark could not take it anymore. Adam Vaterlingham QC told the jury that the suffering and Mark's decision to end his own life were directly caused by the attack. The prosecutor told jurors, If that is right, we say then she is guilty of murder. Counsel for the defence Richard Smith QC told the jury to keep an open mind. It was Belinda Wallace's contention that she did not know that the glass contained acid. She supposedly thought it was water. Smith argued that Mark Van Dongen put the acid in the glass and demanded Wallace drink it. The barrister cited the complicated relationship and said Mark wanted Wallace to drink the acid because she had been blackmailing him. It was alleged that the pair had in fact rekindled their relationship prior to the attack, and text messages appeared to show that they were planning on working things out. However, at the time, Mark was still seeing his new girlfriend, Violet. Throughout the trial, the defence had argued that the prosecution's case could not, and did not in law, amount to murder. Wallace's barrister Richard Smith QC said there was no case to answer to. This led to the presiding judge, Mrs Justice May, discharging the jury after the evidence had been presented to further examine the question of law surrounding causation. Then on November 15th, the judge decided to dismiss the murder charge 
as in her opinion there was no case to answer. Voicing her reasoning, Mrs Justice May said, When Mark Van Dongen made the brave, desperate, profoundly sad decision that his life with such appalling disability was so burdensome that he preferred to leave it, and when the doctors opened the door for him to go and ushered him through, his choice and his death in law from the culpable activity which caused his dreadful injuries. In my view, a jury properly directed could reach no other conclusion and for that reason, I have decided that the case of murder must be withdrawn from them. Although the murder charge had been dismissed by Mrs Justice May, the prosecution appealed the decision at the Court of Appeal. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In March 2018, the Court of Appeal would review the case. In a groundbreaking ruling, the three appeal court judges disagreed with Mrs Justice May, concluding that the murder charge should remain. A new trial would begin in April of that year. Opening for the prosecution, Adam Vaterlingham QC again outlined the prosecution's case. 
He told the jury that Mark Van Dongen began seeing another woman when his relationship with the defendant broke down in the summer of 2015. Before the attack, they had partially reconciled, but this was only because Mark pitied Belinda Wallace and she had made numerous threats to end her life. Mark had told his workmates about his partner's violent temper, but regardless, he felt a duty of care and promised to support her financially. When he reported his former partner to the police for harassment, she went online and purchased sulfuric acid. The defence agreed that the case was one of unbearable suffering, but Richard Smith QC said that Belinda Wallace believed that what she threw over Mark was water. Smith again asked the jury to examine both sides of the case. He argued it was Mark's plan for Belinda Wallace to drink the acid. On the second day of the trial, Mark's father case was again sworn in as a witness. With the aid of an interpreter, he testified about life with his son. Case felt as though Mark was more in love with Wallace than she was with him. Mark's father voiced his dismay at the lack of support Mark received when he reported her to the police. Case said that after the attack, he spent nearly every waking moment at his son's bedside. Several witnesses testified who lived in Westbury Park. This included Thomas Sweet, who contacted the emergency services. Describing hearing Mark's cries for help, the witness told the court, in a very agonised way he was saying something about acid. I thought he had taken LSD and was having a really bad time on it. I initially thought he had paint chucked on him. I initially noticed it on his body. It became evident it was on his face. Continuing with witness testimony was Sean Groves, a criminal intelligence analyst for the police. He said that Belinda Wallace had purchased the acid from Amazon on September 2nd and subsequently deleted the page from her computer's search history. On September 13th, she had searched Google for the following. How to talk to an ex-boyfriend about getting back together. What to talk about with ex-boyfriend. Get your ex back permanently. Can you miss your ex after leaving them for someone else? I don't want to live anymore. And can I die from drinking sulfuric acid and painkillers? Her internet browsing history showed that Wallace had read a Telegraph article about a court case involving sulfuric acid, as well as articles on the New York Times and Guardian websites about the same thing. Sean Grove said that Wallace had also viewed post-mortem images of a man who drank sulfuric acid, searched the internet for textile acid burns, and looked at pictures and videos featuring acid attack victims. The person responsible for Mark Van Dongen's injuries took the stand. Alina Wallace said that she had met Mark on a dating website, 
and he came to visit her in Bristol from the Netherlands. She said that when he came to see her a second time, he never left. Wallace compared the beginning of their relationship to a party, but said that Mark had a temper. She said that Mark was racist and abusive throughout their time together. In 2011, he had been arrested on suspicion of assault after kicking Berliner Wallace in the back and hitting her on the head. Wallace did, however, admit that she had also been abusive, scratching and biting her then-partner. She sought help for her anger issues and told her counsellor that she felt as though if someone set her off, she wanted to destroy everything around her. Wallace denied the allegation that she would hit herself and threatened to blame it on Mark. She testified that she had bought the acid because she was having issues with the smell of the drains on her property. When asked about the search history uncovered on her computer, Wallace said that she had been suicidal and wanted to see what would happen if someone drank acid. She claimed that after Mark reported her to the police, she was devastated and took an overdose. Despite being warned by the police not to contact Mark, the pair were texting and seeing each other just days later. Before the attack, she said that Mark Van Dongen had threatened her and ordered her to drink acid. It was alleged he told her, There you go. Kill yourself. I'll watch. Later, Wallace alleged that they had been arguing and Mark pulled on her underwear, so she threw the contents of a glass over him as a way to stop what was happening. Wallace still insisted that she did not know it was acid. She testified, I thought it was water. I just wanted him to stop. He was hurting me. The contents went on him. I was trying to run away. Then he said, Oh, you threw acid at me. I just turned around and I think I saw smoke or something. The only way I can describe it is black. I was so shocked. I said, Come on, let's get into the shower. Belinda Wallace testified that she believed Mark had poured the glass of acid and left it by the bedside in the hope that she would unknowingly drink it with her nightly medication. When questioned by the prosecutor about the 82 articles she had viewed online concerning acid attacks, Wallace said that she was just fascinated by the content. She claimed that it was just coincidence and bad luck that she happened to throw sulfuric acid in her partner's face days later. When Adam Vaterlingham QC delivered his closing remarks, he told the jury that Belinda Wallace had brazenly lied to them about something so obvious. He said that Wallace was jealous and vindictive, and had told a counsellor that she would experience, quote, an adrenaline rise when someone says the wrong thing, and she feels like she could destroy everything around her. Peter Lingham told the jury, 
That's what happened in this case. In the early hours of September 23rd, Mr. Van Dongham did say the wrong thing. He told her that the relationship was over and she destroyed him. She wanted to be sure that he could never have another relationship again. Belinda Wallace's barrister, Richard Smith QC, told the jurors that Mark had inflicted the injuries on himself because he filled the glass, at least according to Wallace. Smith also claimed that euthanasia had broken the chain of causation and said that it was someone else who had caused Mark Van Dongen's death. The defence counsel remarked, The person who took the life of Mark Van Dongen is an unnamed, unidentified doctor in Belgium. What happened to Mark in Belgium would be a criminal offence in this country. Here, if a doctor had inserted a catheter into his heart and killed him, he would have murdered him. He would be sat in the dock. This wasn't a man who was in flames about to die. This was a man who had a life, had a choice. Before the jury went to deliberate, Judge Mrs Justice Davis told them they must reach a unanimous verdict. After 15 hours of talks, the jury of 10 men and 2 women returned with unanimous verdicts. Berliner Wallace was cleared of murder and manslaughter, but found guilty of throwing a corrosive substance with intent. Detective Inspector Paul Catton of Avon and Somerset Police spoke with the media about the investigation and the repercussions of the acid attack. The breakthrough really was the examination of the computer um, and that showed the, the searches uh, prior to the assault. Of, you know, it showed the purchase of the acid. It showed the, the searches looking at victims of, of violence involving chemicals. And, of course, that built into our case that the, actually this was something that was more premeditated. It's clear that the acid was there in the address for several weeks. The fact the acid was taken out of a bottle which had the label removed, it was poured into a glass and taken into a bedroom, to me suggests uh, that it was going to be used as a weapon. As a law enforcement agency, we will uh, prosecute anyone who uses a weapon to the full extent of the legislation available, and I include chemicals within that. Um, as shown in this case, it's important to recognise that chemicals, when used as a weapon, don't just cause physical scars or emotional trauma to the victim. And Mark found himself here in a situation where his life had been utterly destroyed by this attack and this chemical. He was in constant pain and he obviously felt that he had no choice but to end his own life. On May 23, 2018, Belinda Wallace was brought before the judge. Mrs Justice Davis laid out the facts of the case before handing down her sentence. Addressing Wallace, she said, your intention was to burn, disfigure and disable Mark Van Dongen so he would not be attractive to any other woman. It was an act of pure evil. The acid immediately began to burn Mark 
causing excruciating pain. You did nothing to help him. The judge went on to speak about Mark fleeing the property trying to get help, in contrast to Belinda Wallace, who did not move, simply watching the chaos unfold. Mrs Justice Davis described Wallace's actions or lack of them as callous. It was clear that Wallace could hear Mark's anguish cries for help. The judge described the damage the acid had done to Mark's body, relaying the seriousness of the case, saying, Jonathan Pleat, a consultant in burn surgery in Southmead and the University Hospital of Bristol, said there had been no equivalent patient with similar extensive injuries following a chemical attack. He said that the pain suffered by Mark van Dongen was excruciating. The acid would have caused intensive burning pain within seconds of application to the skin. Mrs Justice Davis explained how she would be calculating her sentence following the jury's verdicts. She said, By reason of your acquittal on count one, the charge of murder, I do not sentence you for the fact that as a result of these injuries, Mark van Dongen chose to take his own life. I do sentence you for the harm which you inflicted, the catastrophic and life-changing injuries, the 15 months of acute physical and psychological suffering of Mark van Dongen. Having carried out this horrific attack, you then told lie after lie. The fact that Wallace had lied several times, including when she claimed that Mark had intended to kill her with acid, all made an impact. It was posed that these explanations influenced the jury's decision when deliberating on a charge of throwing a corrosive substance with intent. Threads in the trial were also picked at, when witnesses came forward pointing to Wallace as the abuser. Mrs Justice Davis highlighted, quote, I accept their evidence. I also accept that Mark told a colleague and his father that he was scared of you. He was right to be so, because he had some idea of what you were capable of. Wallace's computer search history was presented, proving that she planned to throw acid over the man she could no longer be in a relationship with. Wallace had described her early life and the challenges she faced prior to meeting Mark. However, the judge told her that there were few mitigating factors, saying, In your evidence you spoke of a difficult childhood and teenage years in South Africa, of becoming HIV positive as a result of being gang-raped when aged 20. Having listened to your evidence given over three days... I treat much of what you say with considerable caution, even allowing for a difficult childhood. Nothing can begin to excuse your actions. Although she had no relevant convictions, Belinda Wallace was viewed as a dangerous person, and Mrs Justice Davis detailed why she came to that conclusion. Quote, you chose to carry out this attack using 98% concentrated sulfuric acid knowing the damage it could cause. 
You deliberately threw the contents of a glass of the acid at the face and towards the upper body of Mark Van Dongen when he was in bed, wearing only boxer shorts and had been sleeping until immediately before the attack. Your conduct can properly be described as sadistic. You ignored Mark's cries of pain and chose to telephone a friend rather than the emergency services when you would have known that Mark urgently required medical help. This was a premeditated offence, which involved not only the purchase of one litre of acid, but research into the damage it was capable of causing. After assessing the aggravating and mitigating factors of the case... Mrs. Justice Davis addressed Berlina Wallace directly, as Case Van Dongen and spectators in the court watched on. Quote, In passing a life sentence, the minimum term to be served before you can be considered for release on license has to be determined. In my judgment, the appropriate determinant term of imprisonment would have been 24 years in accordance with sentencing practice when setting the minimum term for an indeterminate life sentence. The minimum term will be half of the equivalent determinate sentence, namely 12 years. Mark's father case was deeply disappointed at the outcome of the trial. He had delivered his victim impact statement with the help of an interpreter. Case said, My son Mark was gentle, sensitive, accommodating, too good for this world, as a result of which even his friends occasionally took advantage of him. Nothing was ever too much for him, and in particular he always tried to resolve any problems as they arose. Case went on to describe his son's character in early life and as a young adult, saying, As a child he had many interests and a healthy curiosity in experiencing other environments. That is why in his youth he accompanied me in the school holidays when I drove my truck to Germany, France, Italy and Spain. In an emotional address, Case spoke about Belinda Wallace's claims about his son. I find it impossible to believe the accounts that I have heard in the courtroom in Belinda's descriptions of Mark. Mark was taught to have respect for women, and I find it therefore impossible to believe Belinda's account. It is unforgivable, because Mark was no longer here to defend himself. Case described the day he got the call telling him his son had been wounded by an acid attack in England. Quote, I received a call from my other son Bart, who had learned from his mother that his brother was in hospital in Bristol after an attack with sulfuric acid. The police had managed to track the phone number of my first wife, but Mark had already been in hospital for ten days by that time. I immediately got into the car with my wife Rita and we drove to Bristol. We arrived early the next morning. At the reception of Southmead Hospital we asked about where Mark was. 
the receptionist brought us to the intensive care unit. Case relayed that he didn't realise which patient his son was until staff pointed Mark out. He was in a light coma and seemed to respond to my voice, Case said. I didn't leave his bed for about four months. Rita went home after three weeks and returned on a regular basis. Bart and his wife Angelique also made regular visits to Mark. Mark's eyes were bandaged, but he managed to tickle the palm of my hand. Every day I had to disinfect myself before I entered the room. I alerted the doctors to the fact that Mark's foot felt cold, but they assured me that this was normal. Case and the rest of the family were then dealt more blows. He explained, A few days later I noticed that his left foot had turned black. He set off warning bells with the staff and there came a difficult time when his leg needed to be amputated. I indicated at the time that Mark wouldn't want this, but the doctors got me to understand that we had no choice in the matter. All that time Mark was unable to communicate with me. Mark told me at a later stage that he was aware of the amputation and that he had felt like a loaf of bread when his leg was amputated slice by slice. Mark's mental and physical torment continued. His father described how his son's medication could only do so much as Mark struggled to communicate, saying he was on the maximum painkillers and anti-itching tablets. After several weeks, Mark got a lung infection and needed to be readmitted from the burns ward to the intensive care ward. There he received a tube in his throat for the second time. He spent a long time in intensive care before he was readmitted to the burns ward. He was only allowed to return after the tube had been removed from his throat. At that point he was promised to receive physiotherapy and the use of a small pool in the ward, which he was looking forward to. In fact, he never received that therapy. After more than a year in Southmead Hospital, he was told it was time for him to be transferred to the care home in England. They told us that they had found the best home for him in England, in Gloucester. He was to be moved on a Tuesday. In those days, I spent two and a half to three days each week with Mark, and I went home to work on the weekdays. Case explained that Mark wanted some independence back, and assured his father that he did not need to stay for the move. However, Case said, On the Monday and Tuesday that week, I was back in work in Belgium. On the Tuesday evening after coming home from work, I received a phone call from Mark. After getting in his car and driving through the night, Case arrived in England early in the morning. He stepped out of the vehicle hoping to take a few minutes to stretch his legs in the car park when Case heard Mark screaming. Case went inside and realised the care home was completely underprepared. His father was not the only one who thought the placement was inadequate for Mark's needs when he said, 
The carers in Gloucester were mystified why Mark had been placed in their home because it was completely unsuitable for him. I didn't leave his side after that. At that point, he became determined to move to Belgium and he asked me to arrange it for him. Mark and his father left England for the last time. When back in Belgium, Mark sought comfort, a ray of hope that maybe one day there was a chance he could walk or even just move again. His father explained, Several neurologists assessed Mark at his request. Mark wanted a second opinion. All the experts reached the same conclusion, namely that Mark would remain paralysed for the rest of his life. It was at this juncture that Mark van Dongen discussed euthanasia. Case told the court, Just before Christmas, Mark incurred another lung infection. The doctors came to tell him that a tube needed to be inserted in his throat for the third time. This time, it was 99% certain that he would lose his voice for the rest of his life. Long conversations took place between the doctors Mark and me in his room. It was between Christmas and New Year. The doctors said that if no tube was inserted in his throat and if the lung infection continued to develop at the same pace, Mark would not survive for longer than three days. Mark was very much opposed to the third tracheotomy because he wanted to be able to talk to me until the end. If the lung infection were to develop at a slower pace, he could expect to survive for two to three weeks before suffering a terrible death through asphyxia. Mark said, I have suffered pain, itching and enough misery and I'm tired of fighting. The euthanasia took place at 7.15pm and Mark died. The fact that Mark, a 29-year-old man, a recent graduate, decided to commit euthanasia says something about the condition he was in and the amount of pain he was suffering. He said, Dad, I'm tired of fighting. I've suffered so much pain and I can't take it anymore. Please let me go. The pain for the Van Dongen family spread far beyond Mark's father, extending to his brother and Bart's wife and their children, Mark's nephews. Case Van Dongen went on to describe how much his life had changed since the attack on his son. It has had an enormous impact on my financial situation. It is a snowball still growing in size. I used to have a very good marriage with Rita for 11 years, but I'm no longer my old self and living in a friend's apartment. I'm trying to find some peace for what happened. I'm living one day to the next, and we will see what tomorrow brings. I started to smoke again on the day of my first hospital visit. I can no longer sleep. I take antidepressants and sleeping tablets. I feel entirely drained and exhausted. I'm also seeing a psychiatrist. In the past, nothing would faze me, but now I have lead in my shoes. I miss Mark terribly, 
because he was my boy, my son. Listening to his screams after the attack on the 999 recording was horrendous. Hearing the defence case here was very difficult, because it did not reflect the truth. Case Van Dongen faced financial insecurity after what happened. He concluded by saying that he had to remortgage his home and obtain a loan, but this all paled in comparison when compared against the loss of his son. I used up all my money to visit Mark in England and was unable to work for a considerable period of time. It is still possible that I will lose my job because yet again I have spent four or five weeks in England. However, I promised Mark that I would be standing here in his name, that I would not miss one minute of the trial and I would make every effort to make sure that she gets the sentence she deserves. Despite all the consequences for my health and financial status, I don't regret it for a minute and I would do it all again. I hope that I will get over it one day. A GoFundMe page was started to help Case Van Dongen get his life back on track, which raised a significant amount of money. But Case had still lost something priceless that he would never get back. His son. So where are we now? In the UK... 2.5% of men and 4.8% of women were victims of domestic abuse by a partner during the year Berlina Wallace was sentenced. Over 10% of male victims have considered taking their own life due to the abuse they endure from their partners. Male victims are almost three times less likely to disclose the abuse than female victims and often suffer in silence. Mark Van Dongen sought help and even left Berlina Wallace, but such was her hold on him that it was difficult to sever ties completely. When Wallace felt as though she was losing Mark, she decided that if she could not have him, no one could. An amendment has since been made to the 1972 Poisons Act, which means that a licence is required to import or possess sulfuric acid above a 15% concentration. This will hopefully prevent many horrific acid attacks in the future. If you or someone you know is a man being subjected to domestic violence or abuse and you are seeking confidential advice and emotional support, when it is safe to do so, you can contact Men's Advice Line. Their website is mensadviceline.org.uk or you can call them in the UK on 0808 801 0327. Thank you for listening. 
and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years. Years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.